Oh, come on, let's give Jesus a hand clap of praise. Thank you, Lord, that you are there, that you are for me and not against me. Hallelujah. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise one more time. In Jesus' wonderful name, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. It's good to be in the house of the Lord here today to be in the presence of God with God's people. Amen. Anybody thankful to be in church here tonight? Praise God. Praise God. Well, God bless you. You may be seated all across this building. Amen. Thank you for coming to Bible study here tonight. We're going to continue on in our search for truth uh, lesson. And hopefully these lessons are a blessing to you. Uh, again, I must be teaching real good because I didn't have any questions in the back. So if you have any questions, there is a there is a little box in the back that you can fill out that question and uh, write it down. And uh, it's it's all good with me if nobody has any questions. But I want to make sure that if you have a question, uh, you can write it down. It doesn't have to have your name on it. It can be anonymous. It's just something that has to do with the Bible study, preferably. Um, I did receive a question today. It doesn't have anything to do with the Bible study in particular, so uh, I'll be answering that one individually. Uh, but there, there are lots of opportunities for us to learn and to grow. And, you know, in, in Pentecost, we, we are really good at feeling. Amen. And I thank God for feelings. Anybody thankful to be able to feel? Amen. I'm grateful for the opportunity to feel. Uh, but we're, we're, we're getting further and further away uh, as a people, not just in Pentecost, but in our world, from being able to think. And it is your ability to think that is going to help you and I navigate every situation. Amen. There's times where you're not going to feel a lot. And you're going to have to go based on what you know. Amen. And we are going to continue on, and I'm going to recap a little bit. That kind of leads me right into our last lesson. Last week we talked about temptation. Everybody say temptation. Temptation, amen, it is not a sin to be tempted. In fact, Jesus was tempted. It is a sin for you and I to give in to temptation. And the only way to combat temptation is often we're going to need more than just resolve and more than just uh, a good, strong amount of will because uh, there are times where the Bible says we are to submit ourselves, therefore, to God to resist the devil, and that the devil would flee from us. There are times where we are to resist, but then there's times where the Bible talks about and says, flee, that's an old English word for run as fast as you can. Flee youthful lust. It also says flee fornication. There are times where we resist, and there are times when we run. And so temptation comes, and there's times where we have got to resist temptation, and then there's times when we got to run from temptation. And the only way that you and I can combat temptation is if we have enough information. Amen. In those moments of resistance, we've got to have a little more information. Every time that Jesus resisted the devil, he responded, it is written. I want to tell you that when you know what is written, it will help you and I so much whenever temptation comes because we have knowledge you know there's some people they are tempted uh, and I, I used brother Don as an example last week and I gave him something I said just want to give you some information this is poisonous amen and uh, and if you have information that it's poisonous 
it, it makes something a lot less appealing. Now, uh, I wonder, I love cheesecake, praise God. We're going to talk about food here tonight. I love cheesecake. It's one of my favorite things in the whole world. And you offer me cheesecake, I'm, I'm no respecter of cheesecake. I'm probably going to take it. And I'm probably going to eat it, and I'm probably going to enjoy it. And uh, that's really tempting to me. But if I have knowledge that you got that cheesecake from the bottom of your trash can, I'm not going to touch it. In other words, information and knowledge will help you and I to overcome temptation. And so when Jesus responded, it is written, what he was saying is I have more knowledge on this. If you and I really knew where that, that temptation would take us, I think we would give in to temptation a lot less. Amen. If we really knew uh, where that temptation would lead in the long run, we would stop giving into it. And so often we lack that information of what the Word says. The Word lets us know that at the end of every temptation that we give into, the result is the same. It is death. Amen. So that ought to help us out. The Bible tells us Eve had three, temp three places of temptation, three areas of temptation. She saw the tree that it was good for food. What God had said is going to eat you. She now saw it's good for food. She saw that it was pleasant to the eyes. Now, it's not just good for food. It might actually be something that is desirable, that I would enjoy. And finally, the third area, the tree to make one wise. We find this correlation, as we talked about last week, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. When the word of the Lord declares that there are three areas of temptation, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. All temptation will fall in one of those three categories. You are either being tempted in your flesh, you are being tempted by what your eyes see, or you are being tempted ultimately by the pride of life itself, which is to take yourself and to exalt yourself above the throne of God. And so James tells us about temptation. Everyone is tempted. That means you, that means me. When we are drawn away of our own lust, that means temptation has a voice and it is unique to you. What draws you may not draw me. Now, that doesn't make you a better person than me or me a better person than you. It just makes us different. Amen. But we've got to know ourselves. We've got to get in the word. We've got to know what the word says. But we've also got to get in the word because it's a mirror and it'll show us who we are. And we've got to make sure that when we look into his word and we, we see what we are, we recognize this is a temptation of mine and this is something I need to put a guardrail around. Uh, there are some people that you need to draw a little extra line in your life. There are people that they say, well, pastor, what's the line? What, what does the line need to be? Well, I'll, I'll draw a line as best I can, but I'll never be able to draw a line around your life as good as you can. Because you know what tempts you. You know what pulls to you. And James told us that when, when we are enticed by it, it conceives in us and it brings forth sin. And sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. And we ended our Bible study talking about Luke chapter 10, verse 19, that Jesus will give you power to conquer any temptation. God won't just put you in. The Bible says he won't give us uh, a temptation above that which we are able, but he will with the temptation make a way of escape, which means two things. We preached a while, a while ago about this. God will help you to endure, and there are times where God will help you to escape. Amen. There's times where God will help you to endure, which means he'll teach you how to resist. You've got to get in the word of God. You've got to be in prayer. 
And then there's times where God's going to give you the strength to run. There are times when Joseph, he knew this is a moment of resistance. Amen. He's dealing with his brothers. He's trying to resist his brothers. He's trying to resist prisoners. But then there's a time when Potiphar's wife tried uh, to, to, to do some things with him which were against, amen, his walk with God, and he ran. You got to know when to resist and when to run. And everybody said amen to that. This week, we're going to continue on in Genesis chapter 3, if you have your Bibles. In verse number 6. Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 6. She's been tempted. God said, if you eat it, you'll die. But now the devil spun such a good web of lies that she's given into the fact that not only is it edible, it's probably delicious, and it's going to make me better. I want to tell you, the devil's crafty. He will make you think sin is not only edible, but it's enjoyable, and the end result will make you a better person. He'll have, he'll have one spouse thinking that, they, that the grass is greener on the other side. They just need to step out on their marriage. And I want to tell you, that's a lie from the pit of hell. And it's a temptation we need to watch for. Amen. Praise God. So we're going to go into this here today. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. We're going to see her fall. And we're going to look at what, what the result of it was. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and Pleasant to the eyes and tree to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also to her husband and he did eat, which means he was there and he didn't open his mouth. Amen. Men, we've got to be real men of God. And when we see the adversary come in, we've got to be willing to open our mouths and say that's that's not going to happen here. Verse seven and the eyes of both of them were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord your God walking in the cool of the garden, or in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam said to his wife, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Verse 9, and the Lord God called to Adam and said, where art thou? Amen. Genesis 3, 6 through 8, we see Adam and Eve giving into temptation. When Adam and Eve sinned, they tried to hide their nakedness by sowing fig leaves together. Terror tore through their hearts when they heard the voice of the Lord God in the middle of the garden. They were now aware of their sinful condition. Where there was no shame, there was now shame. Where there was no guilt, there is now guilt. The Bible says the eyes of them were open. Amen. They thought, and Eve, she was given into this, that this tree is going to make me like God. It was a lie. She was already like God. Amen. I want to tell you, the devil's so crafty, he'll make you think you need something more than you already have. More than what God has given to you. That God's withholding something from you. But now, their eyes are open. Amen. Two things happen in that moment. Their spiritual eyes become blinded. And their natural eyes become open. And the Bible had said in 2 and 26 and 2 and 25... That they were two and twenty-five. That they were naked and they were not ashamed. Shame was not there before sin, but now that they've sinned, they feel this this ungodly, just demonic feeling of shame, and they try their best to cover themselves. Folks, I want to tell you, this is where religion starts. When we recognize that we're sinners, when we recognize that we failed. 
And religion comes along and says you need to try your best to cover it up. You need to work at it. If you would be smarter, if you would be better, if you would be more religious, if you would do, if you would do, if you would do, it says you need to work and you need to labor and you need, I want to tell you, that's where religion came from. Religion is man-made. I'm not talking about the biblical uh, James pure religion. I'm talking about the, the man-made religion that says that I will, I will save myself. This is what Adam and Eve are trying to do. They're trying to save themselves. Man, I want to tell you, you and I are not capable of saving ourselves. It is impossible to save ourselves. So what happened when Adam and Eve disobeyed God's command? First and foremost, their eyes were opened, and they became ashamed of their condition. So they tried to cover themselves. That is what religion and self-righteousness looks like. I will cover myself with good deeds. I will cover myself with charitable actions. I will cover myself. And I always can tell when somebody's really struggling with shame because they try to cover it up in other ways. They think they're being so slick that nobody's seeing what's going on. Uh, but, you know, when uh, I can always tell when somebody's struggling with because they'll, they'll come up to me, praise the Lord, Pastor. And you could tell uh, that you couldn't find a better mask at the Halloween store because <sighs> they're faking it. Now, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with, with putting your best foot forward and trying to be happy and trying to smile. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, well, brother, let me tell you what good things I did for the Lord this week. Oh, I had, oh, man, I had, Pastor, I just want to inform you. I had really, really good prayer meeting. I'm not against you having a good prayer meeting, nor am I against you telling me. Praise God. I hope that's great. <laughs> but nine times out of ten, it's somebody trying to cover up the shame they feel. They're trying to work themselves out of the shame they feel. They're trying to somehow appear fully covered in the eyes of somebody else. And usually it's the most, it's the religious figure in their life, which as the pastor that tends to be me. And so they want, uh, well, pastor, I'm doing great. When the truth is, if we were to take the mask off, that if we were to take off all the facade and the fig leaves, there is some, there is some nakedness there. There's some uncovering there. There's some, there's some flesh that's come out there. There's some mistakes that come out there. But people don't want to be honest about their condition, so they try to cover up their condition. You know, when people are diseased and sick, the worst thing you can do when you take, uh, when you take maybe a pill you shouldn't have taken, the worst thing you can do when you go to the hospital is lie about what you've done. Have you done any drugs recently? No, no, no not me, no. They're, they're trying to help you. I want to tell you, the worst thing we could ever do when we, get, when we come to church is try to cover up and hide our real condition and act like nothing's wrong and act like everything's okay. That's the worst thing you could do because then God comes by and he tries to help you and he's trying to, trying to, trying to figure out what exactly you need, but he brings forth a word and you act as if you don't need it. And the pastor preached the word. Oh, praise the Lord. It's for everybody else. I actually have people text me that from time to time. Oh, that was a great word for everybody else. Now, they don't say the word else. That was a great word for everybody. What they're really saying is for everybody but me. And in my brain, I'm thinking, that was a great word for you, but you didn't receive it. And the doctor comes by with medicine to fix the condition, but we have lied to ourselves that we don't have a condition. We're covered and we're good, right? Can we be real here tonight? Is that all right in Bible study? Amen. I think what will help us all is that we take off the mask. We take off the fig leaves. We take off the facade. We take off the religious. Uh, I'm not saying don't try to be spiritual. Don't, what I am saying is don't try to cover up sin with spirituality. Hallelujah. Praise God. 
So what happened when Adam and Eve disobeyed God? God warned them that disobedience would result in death. God's not a liar. So here's a question for us here tonight. Did Adam fall dead instantly? Man, God must be a liar. Man, did Adam fall dead instantly? No. In fact, he lived to be 930 years old. But he started the dying process. Let me just say this. Just because a consequence doesn't appear right away doesn't mean that God has approved of our actions. Let me say that again. Just because the consequences or the end result of sin has not appeared in your life does not give God's approval for your actions. Also, it doesn't mean that God has forgotten about our actions. Amen. Let's just talk about, uh, let's, let's take this into the consequences of life. You, you murder somebody 10 years ago, and you come to church and you repent of it. God will forgive you of everything. But when the DNA catches up to you, you're still going to jail. <laughs> Amen. I want to tell you, we can think we get away with it. And this is the biggest challenge. This is the greatest challenge when you're dealing with people. Amen. When it comes to a religious setting, when it comes to the apostolic church, is you are trying to convince people that the Bible says that oppose themselves. They are living contrary to God's word and God's laws. And you preach to them that they need to act different. They need to live different. They need to repent. They need to dress differently. There's all these different things that we use according to the word of God, that they need to come according to God's word. And there's people that will look at you and say, well, I don't really need to do that because my life's going well. And, uh, you know, I, I really don't need to. I, let's use an example. I don't really need to be a giver. I don't need to be a giver because right now I'm paying my bills. Well, that's fine, but eventually it's going to catch up and you're going to miss out on the blessings of the Lord. And, and, and I'm not trying to, trying to criticize or judge anybody in this. I'm using this one example, but there's so many other things that we think that we've got away with certain things in life, but eventually they catch up to us. Let me give a better example. And let's use money as well because it's what everybody uses and deals with. If you don't pay your rent this month or your mortgage this month, you can say, well, I lived all 30 days in this house, and guess what? I had a roof over my head. And you know what? I didn't pay the light bill or the water bill, and guess what? I had electricity all month long. Did you get away with it? No, you just, the consequence hasn't caught up to you yet. You do that a couple more months, and you get an eviction notice on your door, and you do that over a couple months, and, and the electric company calls you, and they give you a, a termination of services, and they shut off your power. You stop paying the water. All of a sudden, you go to turn on the faucet, and it doesn't work anymore, and you think to yourself, I thought I got away with it. I want to tell you that's how sin is. Sin is so crafty and so tricky that we think we got away with it until years later, it finally catches up with us. So... Does that mean that God doesn't abide by his own word? Man didn't die right away. No, that means that God's got something called mercy. Everybody say mercy. Thank God for mercy. His mercies are new every single morning. Great is his faithfulness. Mercy simply is the withholding of what you and I deserve. Adam and Eve, nothing more than dirt and God's breath God should have wiped him out right then and there for sinning. 
He should have absolutely obliterated them. How dare you disobey my word? I told you that when you eat of it, you're going to die. And God could have immediately just destroyed man. But I want to tell you about the mercies of God. The mercies of God. Amen. They're not there so you can keep on sinning. They're not there so you can continue on in the path that you're in and the direction you're in. The mercies of God are there that hopefully in withholding the judgment you and I deserve and giving us a couple more years to live that eventually we will come to the knowledge of the truth. We will repent. We will make it right. I thank God for mercy. I think we ought to give the Lord some praise here tonight. Man, just because you didn't get the judgment of God fall on you, there's some folks, well, if God's against you, he'd strike me with lightning. That is so foolish. Well, if God was against it, how have I been able to get away with it all these years? You might have thought you got away with it, but eventually life will catch up to you if you don't repent. Amen. Well, praise God. However, man did die in this very moment that he ate of the forbidden fruit because it was not just a physical death. He died a spiritual death. It is a spiritual death that separates man's spirit from God. Not only did man's spirit die, but his soul, his will, his emotions became darkened and subject to the attacks of the enemy. And I, I want to talk about this. God's nature is life, and Satan and sin's nature is death. That's why the Bible says of Jesus speaking, I have come to give life and life more abundantly. He said, but the devil has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Sin and the devil are not our friends. Just because you have a temptation towards, towards something or an inclination towards something, don't give in to it because the devil's using this temptation in your life to kill, from, to kill you, to steal from you, and ultimately he's using it to destroy you. Well, what's wrong with this? What's wrong with a little drink? He's using it to destroy you. What's, long, what's wrong with just a one-night stand? He's using it to destroy you. What's wrong with a little internet pornography? He's using it to destroy you. And if we're not careful, we will miss out on the fact that, that, that the devil's trying to kill us. But here we've got the tree of life sitting over on the other side. And it's Jesus saying, I want to give you life. Amen. Let me talk about God for just a moment. All that is good and beautiful and holy originates from God. Everything God does is good. Everything God creates is beautiful. Everything, everything pure and holy, it comes from God. All that's evil and bad and corrupt comes from the devil and from sin itself. So when mankind disobeyed God, I want to tell you, we understand through the word of God that man's man in, in and of themselves, amen, you can't differentiate. We're one person, but there is this, there is this different way of explaining ourselves that we've got a spirit. Amen. A spirit is the inner man, the, the part that knows God. And when Adam ate and disobeyed, Adam's spirit could no longer enjoy the daily fellowship with God. The moment God showed up, he was afraid. This God that had never done anything wrong to him, never hurt him, never judged him, never, never beat him. Now all of a sudden his spirit is afraid of God. It is now separating man from God. His soul, we talk about the soul, we talk about the mind or the intellect of man, which is where we get the will and the emotions. Amen. It's the part of you that when you die, your soul is either going to be lost or saved. I want to tell you, we were never created to be finite beings. We were created to be infinite beings. You were created to live 
forever. God did not create you and I to deal with the repercussions of sin. Why is there so much sickness in the world? We were never created to die. We were never created to, 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 endure, to endure sickness and disease and pain and grief. I want to say that's why losing somebody is so difficult because we were never intended to lose people. They were never intended to die, but when sin entered into the world, now there's a tearing apart of the soul, and our mind becomes fragmented, and, and, and our thoughts become fragmented. Everything that we see, we hear, we touch, we taste, everything that we, that we use our, our body and all of our five senses for, it enters through those senses, but it goes straight towards the soul, and it affects the soul. The spirit is still longing to be with God. Ecclesiastes says that when we die, the spirit will return to God, but but our bodies and our flesh will return to the earth, and we learn that our soul is in limbo, and it goes depending on whether you're saved or not, heaven or hell, to be with God for eternity or be lost for eternity. Amen. Before Adam sinned, his intelligence was so superb. Amen. We find him naming all of the animals. He was brilliant. And now after sin, you know, they say that uh, in science, they say that most people are only using small portions of their brain at any particular time, some less than others. Praise God. If, especially if they're driving slow in the fast lane. God will touch them. Or my car will, praise God. But you know, we weren't created to be as limited as we are. This is why people, when they see stuff like Jesus walking on water, some atheists, well, I don't believe in that. And, and Well, how did Eve talk to a snake? Because we were brilliant. We were created without flaws, in absolute perfection, in the image and likeness of God. And God could communicate and, and speak to every living thing. Every, he could speak to nature and creation itself. But after the fall of man, you see this start to fall apart. And, and you start to see man fade back. But when you see Jesus come in, amen, all of a sudden Jesus is walking on water. He's controlling the wind and the waves and nature. Why? Because he's, he's, he's fully man and fully God. But it's man at its restored state and its perfect form. I want to tell you, you and I were not created to die. We were created to live forever. And this is what Jesus has come to restore for you and I, is that we would no longer die, but that we would live for all of eternity. Amen. Our body, unfortunately, due to the consequences of sin, our body is the house in which the spirit and soul live. Amen. I want to tell you, you and I, we are flesh, but, but when we bury somebody, we don't say, well, there's Jim. No, we say there's Jim's body. Because that's not Jim. Jim is more than a body. Amen. I want to tell you, you are more than a body. You are, you have a soul, and that soul matters. Amen. I, I didn't come to preach, but I feel it. You are more than just your body. Amen. Jesus said we are more than the clothes we put on and the food we eat. We are more than the pursuits of this life. We are more than just a body. You see my body. You see me. I'm speaking to you. Amen. But I want to tell you, what you can't see, there's more of me you can't see than that which you can see. There is, more, there is more of an infinite side that you can't see. You, 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 we can't see each other's brain, but we believe it's there. Hallelujah. We can't see it. And there's more happening as I'm teaching and I'm talking. I see your body, but I know there's something turning around in your brain. And I know that God's speaking to your spirit. And God's pulling on your soul while I'm teaching. But we've got a body and it's finite. And now because man has sinned, no longer in physical perfection, but now we have, we have entered into becoming mortal. We're starting to decay and slowly die. And from the moment of birth, 
We be, think about this. From the moment of birth, we start the process of dying. From the moment you're born, you start to die. Incredible. Incredible. And so, amen. So we've got this. We've got, we've got an understanding, this dispensation of innocence. They've given into it. They've been tempted. They now have sinned. Man has become a sinner, and it has affected every part of his body. This is what later uh, the New Testament talk about, that he talked about being whole. W-H-O-L-E, in mind, or in body, soul, and spirit. Amen. I want to tell you, salvation is a holistic approach. When you go to the psychiatrist, they're trying to work strictly on your mind, but they cannot affect your soul. When you're sick in your body and you go to the doctor, they are trying to affect your body, but they cannot affect your soul. But when you come to church and you come to Bible study and you come to prayer and you come to worship and you come to preaching and you come to the altar, amen, God takes a holistic approach and he affects the entire part of man. This is why when God redeems you, he's not just trying to, well, God only cares about my heart. No, God cares about all of you. Well, God only cares about my heart and that's all that matters to God. No, that's not all that all that matters to God. God cares about your your God cares about your soul. Yes, God cares about your mind. Yes, God cares about your heart. Yes, but God cares about what you do with your body as well. Praise God. Paul wrote a whole deal about this. He said the body was not created for fornication. He said, don't go, don't give it over to that. I want to tell you, your mind was not created for pornography. Your, your body was not created for drugs. There, there's a whole, dear, God cares about what you do with your body because it affects your soul. Amen. Your eyes were not created to view things that are not God, that are, that are ungodly. Amen. This is why we've got to be so careful. This is why when we come to the apostolic church, some people got a problem with this. Well, I don't think the preachers should talk about that part of my life. I got to talk about your whole life. I got to talk about what you put on, what you don't put on. Praise God. I got to talk about what you look at, what you don't look at. I got to talk about what you think about, what you don't think about. I got to talk about what you listen to, what you don't listen to. Why? Because it affects the whole man. Praise God. And so the wholeness of man matters. Amen. So when we move on into this, the first question, amen, that, that is asked by God in the entire Bible, where are you, Adam? Of course, God knew where he was, but let me, ask, let me just help you understand here today. God was giving Adam a chance at honesty so he could keep their relationship alive. But notice, he hides himself because he's afraid. God has never been cruel, judgmental, mean. There has never been a reason. And let me tell you, you know the number one reason why, why our churches across America are not overflowing to the brim? Shame. Shame. Because people are ashamed and they think that God is going to strike them with lightning if they walk through the church. That is a lie from the pit of hell. I want to tell you how the devil works when it comes to temptation. He will tempt you to do something, and then after you do it, he will condemn you for doing it. Man, I wish I could punch the devil in the face. Because he will have you thinking, well, you should do this. It will be really good. Then you do it. He's like, you idiot. How dare you? Why did? What a, what a punk. Praise God. Amen. He'll have you thinking uh, you should do this, and then he'll beat you up for it after you do it. Amen. That's such a, that's such a mess. And what shame does, is it makes us think that God's now going to hurt us. And we view God no longer through the lens of innocence, but now we view, view God through the lens of our sin. And God was never meant to be viewed through unholiness. Amen. Let me talk about that for a moment. You and I were to view God through perfect, pure, holy eyes. 
We were never to view God through imperfections and unholiness and deficiencies and inadequacies. Amen. God, God was not meant to be viewed like that, uh, where, where we view God through our limitations and through our sins. And now we start seeing God as because I have sinned. Now that's going to I want to tell you nothing you and I have ever done. Anything we ever will do will ever change the nature of God. Not one sin you ever commit will change the nature of God. Let me let me just really get that through. You cannot commit one act. Doesn't matter how heinous the crime. It will never change the nature of God. I'll tell you why. Because your sin is not greater than God. My sin is not greater than God. If my sin could change the nature of God, that means my sin is more powerful than God. And since we now can study the scriptures, Adam and Eve are thinking their sin is greater than God. And that now God is somehow going to show up in a different, different, a different uh, uh, way. And he's going to show up ready to beat them. Adam and Eve hide themselves because they're afraid of God. My question to you is, why were they afraid of God? Because now they're viewing God through the lens of their sin. But get this, God shows up to Adam looking to redeem him. When you sin, I want you to understand he is your heavenly father. There's people in this building, I say, God's your father. You had an abusive father, and you think, oh, no. I don't want God to be like my father. He's not like your father. He's your heavenly father. And even when you sin, your sin, no matter how, how messed up and heinous it might be, it will never change the nature of God. And the first response of God when you and I sin is he looks for an opportunity to save us. I think we ought to give God some praise for that. And so... Mankind sins, and God says, where are you? And Adam says, you can read it for yourself. He said, I heard your voice, and I was afraid. And God gives him in Genesis chapter, uh, Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 10. He said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. And I hid myself. I love the mercy of God right here. He said, who told you you were naked? Given Adam the benefit of the doubt that one of the animals let him in on the little secret. But you're naked. Again, giving Adam an opportunity at honesty. He said, or have you eaten of the tree that I commanded you not to eat? And he said unto God, I love this. Everybody, welcome to the blame game. Everybody say the blame game. Amen. We've been in the blame game since Genesis chapter 3. He said, the woman that you gave me. So who's really to blame here? Well, that's what some people say, brother. They say, well, as women, praise God. But you know what Adam was really, who Adam was really blaming? God, if you'd have never gave me her, I'd have never, see, I'd have been perfect. I'd have never sinned. It's not only the woman's fault. It's your fault, God. And God goes down the line, and he says to the woman, and uh, uh, verse number, uh, I'm sorry, verse number uh, 12, and the man said, uh, the woman whom thou gavest to me, be with me, she gave me the tree, and I did eat. The, again, notice the woman you gave me. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent beguiled me, lied to me, and I did eat. Now she's saying, the devil made me do it. That negates the whole thing we talked about in the, one of the first lessons. He gave you a choice, and your will is stronger than the devil. And so we got the blame game. It's uh, the woman's fault. 
And uh, ultimately, God, you're the one that gave me the woman. If you'd have never gave me the woman, I'd have never sinned because I'm a pretty good guy. And that is, again, religion saying we are judging ourselves based on moral relativity. I'm a good person based on everybody else's badness. Adam was really saying is I'm a good person, but Eve's the problem. And Eve's bad. And ultimately, because you gave me Eve, this is all part of your plan. You're a bad God. Now, I would never have the guts to say that to God. But Adam sure did. And then he says to the woman, what, have you, what is this that you have done? I love the fact that we don't like to talk about this. But the woman was a lot more honest. She didn't say, well, it's Adam, and Adam didn't speak up, and Adam didn't say nothing. She said, well, I was talking to the devil, and the devil, he convinced me that it was a good idea, and I did it. She still admits that she did it, but she now gives reason why she did it. Amen. Adam could have taken a leaflet out of her page, at least admit to the fact that you did it. I want to tell us here today, honesty is a big deal with God. When you do it, admit it. You know, there's people in our world, and I deal with this as a pastor. I talk to somebody, I say something, and they will immediately deflect. Well, I didn't know. Well, let's just talk about it. Just be honest. What did you do? Did you do this? And we'll talk. But they're so afraid of the consequences, they would rather lie or deflect than to actually, Im, actually endure them. And so the blame game. Adam doesn't apologize. He doesn't confess. He points the finger of blame towards Eve and ultimately towards God. And uh, then we see God, Eve blaming the devil and saying, well, the devil made me do it. And this guilty trio is before him, Adam and Eve and the serpent. Amen. Sin has, has always been a problem for which no one wants to accept responsibility. When we talk about sin, we, want, we don't want to say, well, it's my fault. We want to say it's somebody else's fault. Well, I, I'm in this position because my parents didn't raise me right, because the teacher didn't correct me enough, because the pastor, he didn't stop me when he, when he should have, and, and it was the police officer. If they'd have arrested me like three weeks ago, I wouldn't be in this position, and ultimately the devil made me do it. You know, God, it's your fault that I'm in the position I'm in because you made me born into this family. Come on, somebody, don't leave me up here by myself. Amen. There are people you maybe never said that, but you thought that for years. It's God's fault. It's God's fault. And this is what turns people away from God because they want to blame him for their mess. But the truth is we had a choice. Amen. And so we're going to go on. Amen. There is, everybody say, consequences. There are horrible consequences for Adam and Eve's sins. Not only were they driven out of the, gar the garden, but as you read through this text, you'll find that they suffered. They suffered an immediate spiritual death. A future physical death. Separation from God's presence, which meant they could no longer rule the earth. And finally, there was, there was a curse pronounced. Amen. First thing God did when he gets to the serpent. I love this. He looks at the serpent in verse number 14. Amen. He doesn't ask the serpent a question. You notice that? He asks Adam and Eve for the benefit of the doubt. What is this that you have done? Did you do this? But when it comes to the serpent, he immediately starts pushing and proceeding to cast cursing and judgment upon him. Verse number 14, the Lord God said unto the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon your belly shall you go and dust shall you eat all the days of your life. And then verse 16 he proceeds to let the woman know that there's going to be some consequences for your actions. Amen. And he says in verse 16, unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow in conception. 
in sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and your desire shall be to your husband, and he shall rule over you. Amen. Notice, Eve was the next to receive consequences of her sin. The, the serpent was absolutely cursed by God, but God just informed the woman of the consequences that were coming because of her sin. Amen. Nowhere in the scriptures does it say God cursed the woman. Amen. He was letting her know that your sin, and, and this is a lesson here. Amen. God did not curse the man or the woman. He let them know you have cursed yourself. You brought a consequence upon yourself because of of sin. In other words, the curse itself came from sin. The consequence came from sin. He says to the woman that 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 you are now you were directed to multiply and to replenish the earth. Before sin, childbirth would have been a painless joy. However, after Eve sinned, God said to the woman she would experience pain in bearing children, but another thing he says, he was also resetting the authority structure in the home. Your desire shall be to your husband, and he shall rule over you. Eve, you were taken from the side of Adam. You were always meant to be working alongside with the man, but because you were deceived by the serpent and you gave into the temptation, now there is going to be an authority structure whether you like it or not. It is not going to be you side by side. It is going to be the man over you. And there is a world. Listen, this is really matters, especially now in our world today, that there is an idea of I don't need no man. No man's going to tell me nothing. I want to tell you that is a demonic spirit that says I don't need authority in my life. I don't need anybody to tell me what to do. And uh, in fact, you know what? I'm not going to listen to nobody. I want to tell you, don't listen to that. That's that is a voice of 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 the spirit of Jezebel in our in our generation that is propagating itself throughout our culture. But God said, I want to let you know that this is going to be the structure from here on out. And when you find this later, we'll talk about this in a future Bible study, when it is done properly. Amen. When it is done properly, it starts off and it says, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church and he gave himself for it. So the, the, the husband must love his wife to the degree that he will give himself as Jesus gave himself for the church. But then the responsibility of the woman is when that, not if that man or when that man loves you like Christ loved the church. It's the responsibility of the man, whether she submits or not, to love her as Christ loved the church. And it is the responsibility of the woman to submit herself to her own husband. Amen. Everyone has a responsibility because of the consequence of sin. This is why later when we get to the other side, when we are, when we get to that, the Bible says there's neither male nor female, bond nor free. At that point, we've fully been redeemed, and now the consequences of sin have completely been eradicated, and we can go back to like it was in the garden. But until this point, this is the consequence of sin. Amen. And so, verse 17 through 19, he brings the, 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 he tells man that there's going to be some, there's going to be some challenges. Amen. He says to Adam, because you have hearkened to the voice of your wife. And have eaten of the tree again. If he would have done his job, he would have said he would have said something. But instead, he listened to the voice of his wife and said, "Saying no, that's not what God said." He listened to the voice of his wife, not to the voice of God. And so God says, "Adam, as much as this is a consequence of sin for Eve, it's going to be a responsibility on you as the man to lead your home. You're going to have to man up. You're going to have to step up and lead her." Amen. He says, because you've done this, you've listened to the voice of your wife. You've eaten of the tree which I commanded you, saying you should not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. 
In sorrow thou shalt eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns and thistles also shall it be unto thee. And thou shalt eat of the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face thou shalt eat bread till thou hast returned to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Now the judgment on man is that man must work, toil, and exist until death. Instead of having this joyous existence, now he's just working to die. Eden was green and fruitful, but the new environment would be bald and barren, full of unwanted thorns and thistles, a life of trouble, and then after this life of trouble, a death sentence. That's the consequence of sin. Well, why is the world so tough? Why is life so hard? Because of sin. Because mankind made a choice. Amen. Adam sought to cover himself, but he failed. And we're going to talk about this for just a few moments, but let me, let me just point out something real quick. There's a redemptive part of this verse. He said, cursed is the ground for your sake. That is for your benefit, which is interesting. After mankind sinned, God is still doing something for their benefit. What came from that curse on the ground? Thorns and thistles. What was Jesus crowned with? Amen. That was part of the redemptive process that even in the midst of your sin and your failure, there is going to be redemption for you. Everybody said amen. So Adam sought to cover himself, but it would not work. And so the Bible says, amen, that God took and he made garments from them from the skin of animals to hide the nakedness and the sin that they had uncovered because of their mistakes. It required not shaking the preacher's hand. It did not require fig leaves. Fig leaves were not enough. Religion was not enough. It required the death of an animal. Because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. The payment and the penalty of sin is death. Amen. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 22. You can write this down. I'm going to read it for you for the sake of time. We're coming to a close here. But we see a curse upon the woman. Or a cur I'm sorry, a curse upon the serpent. Amen. There are consequences for the woman and for the man. Amen. But all of this is going to work out in their benefit. Amen. There's going to be things done for their sake. Hebrews 9 and 22 says, Almost all things by the law, this is all the Old Testament, are purged with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. The shedding of blood, there is no remission, which means no forgiveness of sin. Acts chapter 2, verse 38, we read it on Sunday. The Bible says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the remission of sins. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. The only way you apply the blood of Jesus Christ is through baptism in the name of Jesus Christ. And it washes all of your sins away. And everybody said, amen. Hallelujah. We're going to come back uh, next week and we're going we're gonna to go into the promise that came from this. But for the sake of time, I wonder if we could stand all across this building. We are all tempted. But God has given us power over temptation. That if we will rest in his word, we can overcome temptation. And there are consequences for our actions. And these are things where God... God will redeem us from our actions. He's already got provision there. He's got the shedding of blood. He will cover all of our sins. Amen. This is a promise from his word. He will cover 
our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us of all our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is a promise from the Word of God. But we cannot just go out and sin and think that there's not going to be any consequences. Nor can we go out and sin and say that, that my natural state after sinning is I'm saved. Let me just explain that real quick. If you go down the streets of Carson City and you ask people, are you going to heaven or hell? Are you saved or lost? 99.9%. In fact, I've only ever had one person in 21 years ever tell me I'm on my way to hell. Everybody thinks they're saved. They think that, the, that because consequences have not landed right away, that they must be fine. Because God hasn't stricken them with some illness, they must be okay. That they must be on their way to heaven. That after all, because I'm not as bad as this person, I must be pretty good. I'm on my way to heaven. But I want to tell you, sin comes with consequences. Amen. This is why we need the blood of Jesus upon our lives. It is the only way to save our souls. And we're going to continue and teach on this next week about the promise that God brings. Amen. But I want us to lift up our hands. Today, I want you to know that if you've sinned, you can repent of your sins. You can be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission, the washing away of all of your sins. But you've got you've to come to him, and you can't come to him and say, well, I'm good, look at me, I'm already perfect, and there's nothing wrong with No, you've got to come to him completely open. You can't cover yourself with fig leaves and say, uh, you know, this is good enough. No, you've got to come to God as you are, and you've got to bring all of your mess and say, Lord, this is exactly where I'm at. Somebody lift up your voice and pray. In fact, I want us to come down to the altar. Everybody, the Bible says, all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But we have a beautiful promise that even though the wages of sin are death, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. God, you did not leave Adam and Eve in their mess. You brought mercy to them when you covered them with the skins of an animal, when you covered them with the blood of a sacrifice. And Lord, today, even as we're, where we are, Lord, you covered us with the blood of your son. You covered us with the blood of Jesus. And now when you look down from heaven, you don't see us in our naked state. You don't see us in our shameful state. But God, you look down from heaven and you see us, amen, through the blood of the sacrifice. Hallelujah. Somebody lift up your voice and let's just take a few moments to pray. I was a wretch. I remember who I was. I was lost. I was blind. I was running out of time. Sin separated. The breach was far too wide. Come on, let's take a few moments to pray. The far side of the chasm, you held me in your side. So you made a way across the great divide.
Inside my tomb of sin, you were buried. 